Let go and let God. Have you heard that before? Well, I think that phrase has been around for quite a while, many years, and, and I have heard many Christians over the years say that phrase to one another. You just need to let go and let God. I'm looking at your life, and I'm seeing that you are having a hard time getting a job. As a matter of fact, you've looked and looked and looked, and you just can't get the job you want. Well, my recommendation is, is that you just let go and let God. Or maybe you had burdens in your lives that have been weighing you down for a long time. Things that you just don't seem to be able to get past. Well, when I look at you, my advice is that you just let go and let God. Or maybe you have a child that is struggling with challenges in his or her life, an addiction maybe, and you've been working really hard for a long time to help them move past those things and get over those things, and yet that's not happening. Well, if it's not happening, it's obvious then that you haven't just let go and let God. There's an insinuation in that phrase. Did you catch it? The insinuation is, is that if the right things are not happening in your life, it's all because you haven't let go and let God. Let go, let God. What does that even mean? What does it mean to let go and and let God. Does it mean that I'm supposed to stop looking for a job? Does it mean I'm supposed to stop filling out the applications out there and just stay at home and wait for God to bring me a job? I mean, does it mean that I'm supposed to stop carrying the burdens or, or worrying about my family or or, or thinking about the difficulties of my life and just stop doing that and let God just do his thing? Does it mean that I'm supposed to stop trying to help my children navigate the difficulties of life? That I just sort of get out of the whole picture and wait till God comes along and makes everything okay again? Let go and let God. That's one of those phrases that have been around for a long time. And one of those things that we're talking about in this series as we talk about lies from the angel of light. That, that phrase again fits in this series uh, of, of one of those lies that Satan who at times masquerades as an angel of light, is attempting to get us to believe and attempting to get us to buy into. Now, listen, I, I'm not saying that let go and let God in a certain way can't be a good thing. I'm not saying, for example, that uh, you can't say, let go of your past sinful life and, and, and let God teach you and direct you in the ways of righteousness. That's, that'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? And, and I'm not saying 
let go of your greed and your hunger for money, and let God teach you about what it means to have a generous life. Let go and let God could be a a good statement in those contexts. But listen, what we're talking about is that when it comes to the faith perspective, that we're supposed to have in life, especially when it comes to difficulties, I'm saying this morning that it's just not true. Well, well, if it's not true, then why would people and so many people embrace and use this sentiment of let go and let God? I, I don't know. There are many reasons why that might be, but here's one thing. I think maybe that let go and let God kind of sounds like Scripture. It kind of sounds like the truth, doesn't it? Maybe let go and let God in some people sounds like um, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and, and lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your path straight. Maybe it sounds like that. Or, or maybe it sounds like Matthew six thirty one and following. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink and with what shall we clothe ourselves? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and these things will be added to you. Maybe it's because we think let go and let God sounds like Scripture, but the, but the reality is, listen, it's not Scripture. It's not the truth of God's Word. Instead of being truth, what we're dealing with here, I believe, is really what I consider to be a hallmarkish religious sentiment. Something that you might easily see and find on a Hallmark greeting card or one that you got in the mail somewhere. You see, scriptures like Proverbs and and Matthew are different. They are God-revealed truths that call us to walk through this life, regardless of the difficulties and challenges we face, putting our trust in God regardless of what we understand or don't understand about those things. Whereas when we talk about let go and let God, what I hear is I hear this vague spiritualized philosophy that insinuates that good things will happen in our lives if we'll just let go of whatever and let God do whatever. See, there is a big difference between the truth and this philosophy. Well, I could talk about a lot of different ways that these things, uh, uh, this statement is not is not a true statement for us as believers. But let me give you two facets of the lie. When we listen to this and we hear this, the first thing that's in there is that it suggests that super faith is the cure for life. Now follow me here. The false mindset here is that if we will just have super faith, if we will have this, uh, have enough faith to empty ourselves of ourselves, that's the let go, and that we will open ourselves completely to God, that's the let God, that if we'll do those two things, that God will override life. 
that God will somehow fix or bypass all the troubles in life for us. That, that uh, Tim, if you just have that super faith, or if you have enough faith, God's going to take care of that stuff for you. So, so let go and let God. That's what it's insinuating. But the problem is, is that when that doesn't happen... Satan can lead us into believing that something is wrong with our faith. Something's wrong with me. That I can start thinking, if I, if I just had greater faith, if I just had stronger faith, these bad things wouldn't be happening in my life. And that way of thinking can lead to another way of thinking, which leads us into what I consider to be spiritual crisis. The spiritual crisis that comes when we keep trying, when we keep trying to let go and let God, and we try even harder to let go and let God, and we look up and the problem's still there, and we try even harder to let go and let God, and the problem is still there, and we keep trying and we keep trying and we try, and what happens is, is it leads us to this conclusion that our faith is actually worthless. That it's never going to solve our problems. And so we give up on faith. But in this falseness, I think it also, this idea of super faith can cure life, doesn't lead us to just thinking badly about ourselves. But it can also lead us to thinking badly about others as well. It can lead us into what I call a suspicious spirit. You see, when I look at you, Keith, and, and, and I see that, that bad things keep happening in your life and, and, and you're not seeming to get past the difficulties in your life, then I'm looking at you kind of side-eyed suspiciously saying what? I guess he just doesn't know how to let go and let God. And that's not the right type of spirit that we should have of one another in Christ. But this notion that super faith can cure life really goes against all of the Christian life portraits that we see in Scripture. As a matter of fact, first of all, it goes against the life portrait of Jesus himself. This idea that super faith can protect us against the difficulties of life. Jesus in his very life proves that that's not true. For the, from the very beginning as a baby, Jesus was on a run for his life. Because Herod was trying to kill him. Even when he came to his hometown people, they tried to kill him. They tried to throw him off a cliff because he just spoke truth to them. His disciples one of his closest disciples betrayed him and, and, and pierced his heart. And it was Jesus who had to endure the agony of emotion and the agony of physical pain on the cross until he absolutely died. Jesus is our example of perfect faith, and yet... His perfect faith didn't cure 
life. He still had to suffer like we all do. He he goes on. It's not just what we see in Jesus, but what we hear in Jesus. Jesus taught his disciples that faith doesn't cure life. He said to them in John 16, he says, In the world you have tribulation. And then he says in Matthew 5, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus is trying to make sure that his disciples don't buy into this let go and let God mentality, but understand that in this world you're going to have some difficulties. And this is the same message that's spoken to us by the Holy Spirit through the apostles and writers of the New Testament. Listen to some of these passages of Scripture. In Acts 14, it says, Through many tribulation we must enter the kingdom of God. Many tribulations. Peter tells us that sometimes you're going to do right and you're still going to suffer for it. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20. He goes on and he says in chapter 4 that we should not be surprised, verse 12, by the fiery or the painful trials that we endure in this life. You see, the message over and over and over again is that super faith doesn't cure life. Super faith is not going to cure the difficulties and the trials and the challenges of our life. So, if let go and let God is true, then that makes all these scriptures we're talking about this morning a lie. And I don't think there's any of us to believe that those scriptures are a lie, but we believe that scripture is true. Amen? There's a second part, a second uh, facet of falseness in this let go and let God mentality. And that is, is that I am the catalyst for God's good purposes. That I'm the catalyst for God's good purposes. It starts with me. If God's going to do something good in my life, then it depends on and it starts with me. The thought here is that in order for God to work good in my life, I must let him. Let go and let God. If God's going to do something good in our lives, the thought here is that we have to let him do it. That we have to to free him, even though God is willing and ready and able to help us and do good in our, uh, in our lives, he can't do it because I haven't done whatever the right thing is to let him and set him free to do it. God is waiting on me to do the right thing to let him work in my life. And that's just not true. And there's a number of ways that we could show that and prove that that's not true. But you know this. There is no more convincing um, thing that can be seen that, uh, in, in, that breaks this argument down is that when God looked at us and saw our need, when he saw our need when it comes to sin and salvation... God was the catalyst for our salvation and not us. He didn't wait around for us to ask him to come and save us. 
It was God who made the first step. It was God who looked into our lives and saw the need that we had. He didn't wait for us to let or free him to send us a Savior. He initiated good for our lives first. Paul in Romans is trying to get us to see just that reality as he says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. As he says that God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through death of his son, much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? God wasn't starting and waiting for us to become friends. He wasn't waiting for us to become his allies. He wasn't waiting for us to make the first move in order to save us. Jesus came to die for us as a result of God's initiation and now ours. We weren't even asking. We weren't even thinking. And yet God was ahead and was a catalyst for our salvation. Think of it another way. Saul, the greatest persecutor of Christ and the greatest persecutor of the church, never in a million years thought about asking or letting Jesus convert his way of thinking. Before he ever thought of it, Jesus walked into his life and woke him up to the fact of his sin and his rebellion against him, the Messiah of the universe. You see, it was Jesus who was the catalyst of Saul's salvation and conversion, and it wasn't something that Saul let God do in his life. So if God is the catalyst for the greater good and need in our lives, without asking us, is there any lesser good that He's waiting around for us to say, God, go ahead and do that in my life. If he would do that great good, if he's the catalyst of the greatest good, he's the catalyst of all good in our lives and not us. So, if let go and let God is not a true perspective for my life, then what is? What should be my reaction to the challenges and the difficulties of life? Well, let me give you a different phrase here in just a moment. Instead of let go and let God and, 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 and the faults that we find in that, let me, let's try this one that I think is, is more biblical and I think is a better phrase. And that's this. Let hope lead. Let hope lead you through life. And maybe as you hear me say that, I'll admit it, maybe when you first hear that, you're looking at me and you're saying, hope? Really? Hope? That's all you have to offer me is hope? Don't you have something more significant? Don't you have something more powerful to offer me than hope? And my answer to that is thankfully, no. 
I don't have something more powerful to offer you than hope. Because hope is the greatest power for those of us who live our lives of faith in Christ Jesus. You see, we live in the hope of God. And that hope is not, listen to me, our hope in God is not a weak wish or an optimistic look at what, what we want to happen in our lives, but that hope in God is a strong assurance and confident expectation that God will not fail us. That God will work His good purposes in our lives. Instead of using let go and let God as a compass to navigate through unemployment, instead of using it as a compass to navigate through the, the continual burdens of our lives, our financial issues and struggles, our difficulties in family relationships, or difficulties with our children, instead of using that, that skewed compass to navigate our lives, what I'm saying this morning is we need to let hope lead us. We need to let hope lead us through those things. We already do that when it comes to our salvation. Think about this. Just as we live in the hope of the gospel that Paul talks about in Philippians 1.23, just as we live in the hope of the gospel, which assures us that we have salvation from sin today and assures us that we have salvation from death in the future, just as we live in the hope of the gospel, so too we should be living in the hope of God's care. The hope of God's care is just as sure as the hope of the gospel. And we believe in that hope, and we trust in that hope, and we must also believe and we must also trust in the hope of God's care at work within our lives. The encouragement this morning is hope. Let's hope in the shepherd of Psalm 23. And let's let that hope lead us through those difficulties of life that we encounter and lead us to a place where we too can say, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord. Hope in the God of all comfort. And let that hope lead us through the difficulties and the, the, the uh, uh, unsettling times of life until he leads us to this place in which we know that he is the God who can and will comfort us in all of our afflictions. And let's hope in the God of all contentment who can, even in the most trying times of life, lead us through those things until we get to the place where we too can say, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. And ultimately, let's hope in the God of everlasting salvation, who will lead us if we continue to hope, will lead us beyond the difficulties of this world and lead us and give us His crown of righteousness forever and ever in Christ Jesus. This morning the message is clear. The message is hope. Hope in God. You see today instead of confronting life with a hallmark card philosophy. 
Let's instead confront it with the hope of God in our hearts. I hope you put your hope in the salvation of Jesus Christ. Because you see, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness.